Bible. It's been happening since the Old Testament. Moses was there and he wanted to drop, right? And he had those around him help him. Joshua helped get his arms up. 824 in the Pew Bible? Okay. Spirit, just speak to our hearts through your word. I just I thank you that we have it. You preserved it, Lord, through faithful uh, just uh, men and women just throughout the centuries. And so now, Father, we have your written word and through your Holy Spirit, you'll guide us, you'll teach us and direct us. So we pray for you, Holy Spirit, the counselor, the comforter, the teacher. May you teach us your voice be the predominant voice. Not our words, thoughts, opinions, biases, experiences. But I pray that your voice would be the loudest, would be the most dominant. We pray just uh, for your spirit of truth to connect with our hearts. Bring our minds and our hearts to places right now during this time to where our minds and our hearts, they need to be so you can speak to us. And we pray that whatever we listen here, we soak in that it would lead to embracing the transformation that you're doing in our lives. We're not here to just learn more and gain more information. We're here to learn that and gain that information, but have that lead to transformation. To change us, Father, into Christ-likeness, more like Jesus, less like ourselves. You empower us to do that, Father. So we just give you this time, Father. We just give it over to you. Speak to us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to... Let me make sure I have this guy on for Steve here. Okay. So we've been studying through the book of 1 Timothy. And um, it's been rich. It has been rich. There has just been a lot of things that God has just really brought out of studying through this book. I think for us as a church family, this might be, since we planted the church, I want to say this is maybe our, I think it's our 11th book we studied together as a church family, which is just tremendous, you know, because I really felt like even when we started and planted the church, that it was really important that the church that we plant, that we would be guilty as a church of delivering the entire council word of God to whatever area and environment that we would be in. Really important to just give the entire council. You know, Billy Graham just passed away recently. And one of his famous quotes, he has lots of famous quotes, um, for good reason. But one of his famous ones is that it takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. And there's a tremendous amount of profound truth to that. It's so true. And it's really difficult to sing that song, you know, that we sang um, at the end there. Um, I trust your heart. I trust your intentions. That's like extremely significant to be able to say that and mean that. The Spirit actually has to do a work within us actually for us to be able to say that. That doesn't just happen naturally. You can't trust somebody's hearts nor their intentions if you don't know who they are. You might think that you're supposed to. But that doesn't mean that you actually will. And so, the whole purpose of really just going through the Bible and studying it and just getting just around it and seeing it is we get to learn the Father's heart. Who is this God? 
who is he? Who is the God of the Bible? And why did he create what he created? And, and his son, and how is he involved? And what's the dominant narrative? What is the story that's at play and at work? And so um, I look forward to continue in our church, not just on Sunday mornings, but in small groups and Bible studies, as you continue for the little ones next door, just continue to just go through the word of truth that's alive and active, and it can just, it's powerful. It says it divides the thoughts and attitudes of men's hearts. That it divides soul and spirit. It's powerful. So it's just awesome. And so, as we've been going through 1 Timothy, um, God has really been highlighting a lot of things for us, our church, in our current season. Uh, because in our church plan, our current season, we're just going gonna to be entering some transitions. Things are going to look different, um, feel a little bit different, and that's not a bad thing. And I know some people by nature, you know, they just hate change, you know, just any kind of change. You know. Anything that throws off the routine is messing things up. I'm married to, my wife is like that. Whereas me, I'm kind of the point, Rob is like, me too. I'm the polar opposite. You know, I just, I can't even go to work like more than three days in a row the same direction. I don't even, I like to just change things. So I am. And so, um, it's a healthy thing for the church, for the bride to come into new seasons with new things where the spirit is just alive and active and just breathing on them because he didn't say hey listen here's my church so that way you can have a place to where it always stays the same you always remain comfortable and it's always predictable (laughs) that wasn't it my kingdom come my will be done on earth as it is in heaven right that's the deal honestly the hope of this entire world lies in the church. The church. Heaven is making its appeal and gaining ground and gaining back sons and daughters through the church. The praying, faithful saints that choose, we're talking about fighting the good fight of faith day in and day out. It's a powerful, amazing privilege that we get to share. It's awesome. So 1 Timothy 6, he's closing up the book. He's been writing to Timothy. The whole reason why he's writing the book is because in chapter 3, he tells um, Timothy that I'm writing this book so that way you will know how the affairs of the church ought to be conducted, how to manage the affairs within the church. And like I said, we're kind of changing, all for good reasons. And so it's very worthwhile for us as a church family to study together what God says about how to handle the affairs of the church. And so it's been really helpful in a lot of different ways. So we're going to pick up in chapter 6 here. Um, We left off last time in verse 3, actually in verse 5. So we're going to pick up in verse 6. And so, um, Joanna, do you mind uh, reading that passage to us? You probably thought I forgot. I didn't forget, but... um, we're going to do that because we're actually going to jump to a couple other places as well. But I want to make sure at least we just read together the part that we're going to um, have our main focus of study. Timothy here. And... How do you close up your letter when you're writing to a young guy, pastor of a church, not married, no kids, um, fairly new to this whole situation? 
and he's closing up his letter. And it's interesting how Paul started off the letter where he told him, he said, hey, listen, it's very important that whatever doctrines, whatever people are saying throughout the church, what they're believing, that's actually critically important. So keep a close eye on that. And then he encourages young Timothy to confront those that are saying things that they are not part of the gospel that Paul had relayed to him. So he's saying, listen, young guy, confront in an honorable way. Don't just like be dismissive about it. Make sure you confront that head on. And he talks about money early on. And then he closes up the book by talking about doctrine and about money again. So And then Paul didn't stop. He wrote another book to Timothy to kind of even bring more clarification to those issues. And so uh, we'll pick up here, and then I want to highlight a, a couple of things. So let's go to verse 6. He says to, um, to Timothy here, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. The famous pastor joke is, you don't see um, a U-Haul right following a hearse. Can't take nothing with you. This is it. Right? It's all here. There's legacies and things we can leave, but just physical things, you know, you can't. So to be wrapped up in it doesn't work. But what's more value, more valuable, godliness with contentment. What does that look like? What's that about? We're going to talk more about that. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. So he's saying, listen, the idea here, right, is contentment. We're talking about material things, things that we have possessed, that we work for. The idea to go after, to strive for, is contentment, right? Godliness. And he's saying, listen, it's a trap to get caught in this idea, in this mindset of fully, primarily focusing on getting rich. Fully, primarily focusing on getting rich. There's nothing wrong with having an ambition and wanting to work hard and earn a good living. There's nothing wrong with that. But if what's driving all of that, that is the issue, right? That's the issue. And we're going to talk more about that in a minute. He says, for the love of money, right, this is the issue, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Here's one thing I want you to think about. It's this question you might want to write down and we're going to come back and revisit. How do I know if I am suffering from a love of money? That's a question you might want to think about and write down because we're going to come back to that. How do I know, how does Jared know if he has a love of money issue going on in his life. How does he know that? How do you know that? And if you say, well, I don't have a lot, so I don't. You're wrong. That doesn't work that way. You're only suffering from it if you have a lot of it. Right? It doesn't work that way. It says, but you, man of God, flee from all this, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Can you imagine if that's what the guidance counselor told the high school kids? Really? You're not sure yet what college? You don't know what to pick yet? Tell you what. Invest in righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. 
Invest heavily there for a little while, for a couple years, for a season. And then let's see what college you pick and what you might want to do. I want that guidance counselor talking to my kids. Right? It's a whole other way to look at this thing. Whole other way. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the internal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. And then he goes a little bit further with this idea of money and possessions and with this thought. Verse 17, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may not take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter, opposing ideas, what is falsely called knowledge, which some has professed, and in so doing have wandered from the faith. Grace be with you. So you get to the end. He's given this final charge. His young guy, Timothy, he's like, listen, keep the main thing the main thing. Guard what has been trusted to you. Invest heavily with what was spoken over your life, with what people prayed over you. Keep your mind there. Keep your heart there. Keep your faith there. Don't waver from that because everything in your life is going to come in and try and take you from that. Stay there. Protect what the Lord is doing and what he's building up. It's important. It's not sort of if you feel like it, like this is important. He's a frontline young pastor doing a brand new work. And it's interesting how he closes up and he says, you know, he focuses on money and, and well-off and rich people, which is interesting to me. So they must have had some... He wouldn't write that to him unless there were some wealthy people there in the congregation. And so that brings with it a whole other kind of difficult arena to deal with. I would like to think if somebody drove up... Like if Jacob rolled up this morning in a Bentley in the parking lot, I really hope we wouldn't treat him differently. But I, you know, I don't know. I hope I wouldn't. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Like, that's something like we have to be aware of and be cognizant of, is that the reality is that there's rich and wealthy people within God's church. There are. And what's interesting is that he never said, whoever is rich and wealthy there, make sure they give everything away, and they're committing a grievous sin by living that way. What he did say is, listen, that can't own them. They might have those possessions, but those possessions can't possess them. That's where the problem's going to happen. So he told them, like, where to invest, where it actually really matters. So it's interesting to me how, you know, sometimes we think, you know, that riches and wealth, and sometimes we even have the suspicious eye in someone in a church setting that 
might have that amazing house, that might have, you know, a few different cars, that their wardrobe just looks different. And I've been in so many church circles where it's just, it's a little suspicious, you know? They're not sort of getting the same treatment as everybody else. And that's something that we wrestle with. That's not easy. And I really appreciate the fact that, you know, he told um, Timothy that this love of money is the issue. And because what that does for us is that doesn't just mean if I have a lot, I got to be careful. It actually means even if I don't have a whole lot, I got to be careful. Because honestly, here, here's what the issue, and I'm going to go back to some of those things, that question I brought up and those other things. And that's those other passages in your bulletin because we're going to look at that. Here's the issue. I've encountered it so many times, uh, being a pastor, just being around people, being around situations, and personally in my own life. Here's, here's the main issue. The main issue is many times our faithfulness and our obedience is primarily based off of our current circumstances. Many times our faithfulness and our obedience is just based on my current circumstance. So if I'm around kind of nice people, I'll be a little more forgiving. If I'm around people that feel like they like me, I'll kind of extend myself more. If I'm around people that I feel like are difficult and they don't appreciate anything, I might give them a cold shoulder. I might be more bitter towards them. I might be a little bit more unforgiving. If I'm in a season of finances where it's rolling in, okay, I can give some away. If it's a season of life where I'm literally fighting for every single penny, I might not give anything away. And what happens is we can fall into this trap where our faithfulness and our obedience, it just depends upon the people that are around us the things that we have, just the situation that we're in. And honestly, what the Holy Spirit is trying to build inside of us is He's trying to build a purity and faith to where we follow, we we are close in intimacy with our Father regardless of what's happening around us. That is that faith that's referred to in the Bible that's more precious than gold and silver and rubies and anything else. It's that faith, it's that mindset, it's that purpose in heart that says, well, whatever's happening is happening. But I know that I still got to keep praising and be faithful in what he's called me to. And that's just a really difficult place for us to get to. Our flesh just gets in the way and we just have so many reasons for why we can't. And honestly, the Lord is trying to build a maturity within us that says, well, that might be all the reasons for why you can't, but there's one amazing, really good reason about why you can. And that's where faith comes in. And that's where faith comes in. And so when we're talking about money and possessions and all these things, and we don't have faith as part of that equation, it actually just ruins all of it. It ruins all of it. So what I want to do is, uh, I want to take you um, to Deuteronomy 26. If you could turn there, Old Testament... I want to show you something here because I just want to highlight some principles that honestly Paul, when he was writing to Timothy, it was nothing new. It was already in the Bible, already part of God's heart. Deuteronomy chapter 26.
One of those answers, a possible answer to that question I asked you in the beginning, you know, how do I know? How does Jared know, like, if he's loving money too much, if it's becoming an issue in my life? <clears throat> there could be a bunch of different answers, but certainly one answer that could be helpful is Jared is having an issue with the love of money or some kind of issue with money in his life. If he's having an issue, giving it back to the one who gave it to him. If I have some sort of issues or dysfunctions in my life, about giving it back to the one who gave it to me, there's some issues right with money and finances in my heart and in my life. And there will be with the rich people uh, in Timothy's church. If they have issues and distortions, they're, 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 they're going to see money in a way that, that God had never intended. Money is just a, another thing. right? And actually it can be used for a tremendous amount of good, but so oftentimes we become enslaved to it because we work so hard, you know? We just invest so much of our lives and time and energy into it and it, it, it can take an improper place. Just like other good gifts, like food, like sexuality, these are like good things that, honestly, in God's heart, He wants us to enjoy in a pure way. Just like I want to give my kids, you know, really good gifts and have them enjoy different things, but there's some things they can't be entrusted with in the season of life right now because their little hearts can't handle it. I can't flip Jaren the keys to my car even though he wants to. He'll run over somebody. It'll be horrible. If he can even turn it on, like he can't, he'll hurt himself just turning it on. You know, I don't know. But, but it's very much like the way that we are. You know, this whole thing about money and resources and possessions and, and what he's trying to express to Timothy is about the whole idea is about seeing it the correct way. Having the right mindset, the right perspective seeing it as the Lord sees it. And when we do that, we understand it's not so much about what percentage do I give and how much do I have. and It's more about this issue of stewardship. Everybody say stewardship. Stewardship. And what that does, that presents us with an element of where we become managers. We just get to hold. We don't actually own. We get to hold and be responsible with. And it's a principle that has run all throughout the Bible. And so Paul is making that case with Timothy of saying, hey, listen, nothing has actually really changed from the beginning. Your rich people at your church, they need to see money in the right, right light, see it for the right reasons. So in Deuteronomy 26, it's interesting, there's this idea of first fruits. Everybody say first fruits. First fruits. And so I'll just read the first few verses here. Verse 1, it says, When you have entered the land the Lord your God is giving you, as an inheritance, and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land that your God is giving you, and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. And say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our forefathers to give us. And then they're going to go through an entire thing of what's going to happen when they give. They're supposed to say some different things. It was always part of God's plan and God's narrative from the very beginning that His people, people that would identify themselves as His people, that we give first fruits right off the top, right back to Him. It was always built in that way. It was always supposed to be like that. And so, I don't think, there's no farmers really in here. But what they would do, right, is they would, um, you know, have their fields and uh, have what they've grown, and they put aside um, their first fruits. 
they would bring that to the priest and he would do what he does with those. And them giving that right off the top is an act of faithfulness and obedience that God has always wanted to instill in his people. But God had always wanted for his people to not just do it out of duty, but to do it out of a joy, a love, and an appreciation because they know who they're giving it to. Because they're actually not losing. They're actually setting themselves up to gain more. Maybe not just with numbers, but to gain more in the relationship with the goodness of the God, the Father they're giving it to. So what's interesting is that we go out there, let's say we got this field, we lay down the seed, we cultivate it, we water it. They were supposed to have already purpose in their heart. First truth, whatever comes out of this, I'm giving back to the Lord on this, right off the top. In other words, they don't know like what's going to happen or grow out of that field, ultimately. They don't know how the season is going to go. But they're supposed to have, in their heart, already purposed that they're going to do this. What a lot of us tend to do sometimes is we tend to think of it as, well, let's see how much money I made this year, or let's see how much like this check will be. Let's see what kind of business I will get. And then from there, I'll kind of see if I could give back what I'm supposed to give the Lord. That might seem right, but what I'm trying to illustrate to you in the first fruits is that wasn't the intention. The intention was but that we already purpose in our heart to set aside whatever we have right off the top, regardless of what comes in, and say, this is the Lord's. What God had originally intended, he said, hey, listen, the goal is not to just give back and fit me in out of the surplus. It's actually to purpose to give no matter what might come out. You see how radically different that is? Because so often we're just used to, well, he'll get the leftovers for sure. I mean, he's God, you know? Like, a lot of times we treat the Lord that way, and he's like, that's never the way it was intended. It was all through my word that that was not... It's an act of worship. It's an act of faith. And so what happens when we look at money, we look at finances, and you see it through that light of, wow, even from back then, just from the very beginning, it was about immediately setting aside, not even knowing what might come in, but just already declaring and making commitment, this is what I'm going to do. That's interesting to see it that way. Because really, to see money and possessions and finances and all that, we're supposed to be giving back in a way that um, it's sacrificial. Right? It's sacrificial. It costs us something. Because the reality is, like I wrote down here in my notes, you know, the amount should not change if I'm going to give or not. The amount of what comes in shouldn't change if I'm going to give or not. And too often times, like it does. It should be like this. I'm giving no matter what. Now, the amount that comes in, that might affect how much I'm giving, but it definitely shouldn't affect whether I'm going to do it or not. Right? It, goes, it always comes back to this principle of having, you know, he told Timothy, and trust what was given to you. Fight the good fight of faith. Like, there's something about us mentally and in our heart saying, you know what, I'm drawing the line here, and I'm just not going past regardless of what may come in. 
It's really important and significant in the Christian life and faith to do that. We've got young people in here. You know, the biggest one for young people is just sexuality. They listen, I will not go past these places with my sex life because God said not to do this. I just won't. I'm giving it over to him. It's his, and I'm going to do that in faith because I know that he's going to provide for me. He's going to provide a person for me. I don't know who it's going to be. Where am I going to meet him? I don't know. Ask all the questions. Ask away. The idea is not how many questions can you come up with. The idea is just stay faithful to what you know that he said and the promises that he's given. Doesn't change for a young person. Doesn't change for an old person. So to give sacrificially, sacrificially, not just out of the surplus, that's honestly the idea when it comes to giving back to the Lord. Sacrificially. It's going to cost something. And honestly, when we give sacrificially, the way that God is calling us to, it actually affects our lifestyle. It affects it. Sometimes you think, well, you know what? I'll give back to the Lord as long as it doesn't interfere with my gym payment and... Uh, you know, the CDs or whatever I want to get, my entertainment budget. As long as it doesn't interfere with that, I'll definitely give back to him. And I'm saying since day one, the intention has always been having our hearts purposed and giving back to him, it will interfere with our lifestyle to some degree. Some seasons, it will severely interfere. Other seasons... We'll still feel it, but maybe it won't be as much. But the idea is that there's always something there that we're going to feel. So giving sacrificially, that's what we see in Deuteronomy 26. Here's the other amazing thing that sometimes we miss when it comes to giving and finances and saving money and all this stuff. Is that sometimes we think that, you know, much of giving is, hey, listen, I'll just drop it in the plate, or in our case, drop it in the box. You know, and then that's... The amazing thing is, is that in the Old Testament, that didn't quite summarize the way that they would give the first fruits of what God had given them. If we read further, still in Deuteronomy 26, take a look at this. Verse 3. Say to the priest in office at the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land that God swore to our forefathers to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hand, set it down in front of the altar of the Lord our God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God. My father was wandering, blah, blah, blah. All the way to verse 15. What happens is, like I put in my notes, there is a testimony and a declaration attached to giving the Lord back what he'd already given us. Did you see this element like... Of giving back, it wasn't just ah, I'll just drop it in there, you know. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. And I'm not saying every time we got to give something, you know, it's got to be just a, a crazy just shinde going on. But I am saying there's a tremendous amount of value to see how they would give, how God originally set up giving back to Him. It's a form of worship. And then what they would do is they say, "Listen, I'm declaring, you know, I just lay it in. Boom, I'm declaring, God, you're going to be faithful." I can trust you with this. I don't know what's going on. It's the worst time of my family's life right now, but I can trust you with it. Or if it's a good season, God, I just thank you for the season. This is incredible. Grow me in generosity. Help me not to be attached to it. You've been faithful in the past. You're going to do it now, right? There's a declaration attached to that and then a testimony with it. So it becomes much bigger than, well, am I going to give or not? Is it going to be 10%? You know, listen. 
It becomes so much bigger than that. So with giving, right, sacrificially, giving joyfully, Jesus said something about this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. He talks about, wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's in Matthew 26, verse 21. Because God wants to move us from that idea of just duty. It's very difficult to give back to the Lord and purpose it and set it in our hearts when we're just gritting our teeth the entire time. It's a lot easier if we just, our treasure is there. You know, like there's, what was the thing we had to pay for? There was something we had to pay for the other day. I don't remember what it was. Oh, it was a date night for Julie and I. Right, so it was something expensive, you know? And, and there was something like set on the calendar and she didn't notice and you know, put it on there. It's a pretty expensive one. But I remember something, I remember thinking about it, you know, there was something else that happened like a week before or something. I was just like, it wasn't as expensive as that, but it was like, it was so annoying. I didn't want to pay for it. It's like, this, this sucks. I don't want to pay for this, you know? just grudgingly giving it over. My heart's not there. It's not a treasure in my life. Whatever that other thing was, I don't remember. Probably a bill. I don't know. But then when it came down to a date night for us, I knew what might be involved and what was going on. I was like, take it. Take it. Take it. I'm going to have time with my wife. We're going to be alone. It's going to be a great time. Like, we don't get a lot of this. Take it. Right? My treasure is there. You know, it's sad to say my treasure hasn't always been there, but as we've grown through the years, I've been married and gone through things, you know, my treasure is there. So, take it. And that's the kind of like, that's what the Spirit is looking to develop in our hearts because that doesn't, that's not just there. We just, it's just not there. The Spirit has to develop that sort of trust and intimacy where we're like, you know what? <laughs> just take it. You are good. Just take it. You're good on the other end. You will take care of me. You'll take that further than wherever I could go. Just so worth it. So worth it. And that's the place like where the Lord wants to bring us to. So Paul's telling Timothy, these rich people, like, hey, listen, make sure they see it for what it is. Make sure they see it for what it is. It's so important that they do not be possessed by this because there's a source that's so much greater than what they have. So giving sacrificially, giving joyfully, and that really only happens when our treasure is really in the right place. It's sort of an indication. And listen, I'm like everybody else. It wasn't just... I just decided I loved giving money to church or to ministries or to other things. It's like, oh, I just always loved this. It was never the case. It was something that the Spirit brought into my life. Thankfully, uh, you know, my parents in my home... Listen, they did force and coerce a little bit early on. Not going to lie. Wasn't happening. Like every birthday, like you're giving 10%. I'm like, it's birthday money. It's a gift. Tell me in the Bible where it says that. But I remember, you know, early on, but that's important. Those little things are important. And it wasn't, you know, they weren't crazy about it, but it was always something they tried to be conscious of. And to be honest with you, by the time I got to be, you know, high school, you know, sophomore, junior, I don't know, I just felt really, for whatever reason, I just had a real natural just trust and understanding of, God is just good. Like, I just give it away. He, I, I've seen him at a young age just be faithful, just returning it back. Maybe not in dollar signs every time, but in other ways that like he just does. 
And so now, it kind of drives Julie nuts a little bit because I'll literally give away anything and I don't even care. Because I know who he is and what the deal is. But we have to balance each other out, right? Because, you know, that has to happen. But the idea, right, is it's an indication as far as what's going on in our hearts is how easily can we let go of that? You know, how easily can we let go? And the Spirit, I hope you hear what I'm saying, the Spirit builds that within us as we're in relationship with Him. You cannot muster that up. You can try and fake it, and it doesn't work. Tell everybody how much you give, and everybody always knows. People do these things. But it's not going about it the right way. It's just not. Last thing. So give sacrificially, found that in Deuteronomy 26. We also found give joyfully in there, followed up with Matthew 6.21. Give faithfully. Here's like, when I think about giving, and I think about being in a really good place before the Lord with my money, finances, and resources, there's one main passage in the Bible that comes to mind, and this is it. So I just wanted to show it to you. Habakkuk. So you probably don't even know where that is. So Old Testament, turn there. If you get to it in the pew Bible, you can just yell it out. Yeah. That was it. Habakkuk, chapter 3, verse 17. Because here's the interesting situation as you're turning there. I want to ask you this question. We talked about first fruits and giving on that and purposing in our hearts and doing it in a way that God had said, a way to honor Him. Let me ask you this question. What if no first fruits or harvest comes in? What do we do in that situation? What if nothing comes in? There's a season of literally no money coming in, or people have stolen it, it's been taken away. Back then, it's been robbed, things have happened. Some people say, well, that'll never happen to a Christian. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It rains on the just and the unjust. It just does. And much, some of the greatest works that the Lord works is despite calamity. He allows these things to come into our lives, but then he says, listen, I'll be more than faithful. And I'll show you what I can do despite the evil that has maybe come in and ransacked for a period of time. See, so you better believe there might be times of that and seasons of it. So what if there are no first fruits, no harvests? What can we do? Habakkuk 3.17 says this, says, Though the fig tree does not bud, there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, I'm not going to church. But I didn't say that. But that's what people do. I'm not going to church. Forget it. God is not doing what he said he would do. But these are things people do and say. I mean, they tell me all the time. I'm not going to Bible study. I try. I hate. I can't stand that phrase. I tried that. As if God has some probationary period where he just gets this window. And if you don't get what he gives you, like he's out. But we do these things. We play these games. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. You know, you don't just try this thing. You don't just try. It's a relationship with our Savior. We just give our lives over. And through a lifetime, He ministers and speaks to our hearts. 
totally different. So this response, man, got nothing going on. No figs, no grapes, no olive oil, just no nothing. Verse 18, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in God my Savior. How does that happen? I mean, honestly, you know, like, and unless you've really had, you know, zero or nothing, you know, you don't really know what I'm talking about, but how does that happen? I think that, I don't know if I have a great answer, but the reality is during, I don't know how many, but significant seasons in life, there are times when Jesus is all you got and it's got to be enough. And none of our flesh really likes to be there. We definitely want stories of, of God doing amazing things and Him just doing the supernatural in and through our lives. The reality is, many times He's got to take us to places that we've never been, that people don't typically go to, to really experience sort of just the, the special things that the Lord wants to do and pour out on His people. And so, that's the goal for us. To do it in faith. Because that's always been the goal with everything that we do. That's supposed to be the life of a saint. Isn't that just money? But it's in relationships. It's in our work. It's in our families, right? It's in everything. It's supposed to be the, like, the cornerstone of what we do is in faith. And so that declaration of just rejoicing the Lord, even though it's bare bones, empty cabinets, and listen, not blaming everybody. It's not all their fault for the reason it is the way it is. It's like, listen, Lord, I would just rejoice and I'll stay faithful and stay close to your heart because I can trust your heart, I can trust your intentions. And I promise you, you stay in that place, things will change. Things will change. The Bible is full of people that have stayed faithful, they've fought the good fight, they've stayed close to the Lord's heart, and He has been more than faithful to them. That's why I love singing that song in the beginning, man, He's faithful, because He really is. But a lot of times, we don't get to know or experience it until we get into some hard places, but we still choose faith. We still choose faith. And so, as Paul, you know, is writing these things to Timothy, they're honestly, they're not new things. And I just wanted to take you to the Bible and just show you that it's always been God's heart to look at money, finances, and resources in this particular life. And some of the greatest faith-building things that will happen in my life and in your life, it's going to happen in the area of provision that God will provide. Many times, you know, it's with money. And so, um, yeah, I just want to encourage your heart on those things, you know. Next time what we're going to do is we're going to kind of wrap up the book, all of 1 Timothy, just a couple of highlights. And then um, if nothing changes, sometimes things change and the Spirit's like, hey, we're going we're to talk about this for a little bit. But if nothing changes, we're going to jump into 2 Timothy chapter 1. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Um, let's pass out these elements for communion.